Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Beloved, we continue our reading through the Epistle of James this morning. An early Christian writing, first century, called the Didache, is dominated by a central motif. There are two paths and people must choose between them. The letter of James is the biblical book, I would say, is most attentive to this theme. It presents Christianity as a way of life, not just a system of belief, and it warns of the danger of being what James calls double-minded. The letter provides readers with a type of guidebook for following the path that leads to life and avoiding the way of destruction. The letter itself reads like a series of short essays on various topics. And our reading this morning is something of a continuation of the short essay we started last week where James maintains that faith must be revealed or demonstrated in action. Now, I know while many point out a seemingly glaring contradiction to Paul's writings in the letter, I have always believed that we should read the words of James on their own terms and not simply evaluate them in terms of their compatibility with Paul's message on grace. As we shall hear, James is promoting consistency, consistency of belief, action, speech, and conduct. Quite simply, Christians should practice what they preach, and they need to think through the implications of their faith commitments for every aspect of their lives in this world. So let us turn and hear these words from James. James 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Surely that faith cannot save, can it? If a brother or sister is naked, and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, and you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is worthless? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, that faith was active along with his works. And by works, faith was brought to completion. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he He was called the friend of God. 
you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise was not Rahab, the prostitute, also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road. For just as the body without a spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. shelter from the rain We lift our eyes to you Looking for answers But we have been called to ease the pain We want to be, let's sing together We want to be your hands, your feet With our words we'll let our actions speak Thank you. Hello, friends. Because we're friends, I feel the need to be honest with you. I don't really love the book of James. It's kind of preachy, direct, a little too obvious. I kind of want to say to James, okay, James, we get it. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. This week, when we follow that up with faith without works is dead and justification by works and not faith alone, well, it it just kind of seems prescriptive. Now, you may have the illusion that diving into the text this week, exploring faith in action is a sermon that would come easy. And I assure you, like Waffle House hash browns, which are one of my favorite things, that this sermon has been served up a lot of different ways. But easy, no. In some congregations, this text comes as a form of a motivational sermon with a lot of shoulds and an attempt to get people from the sanctuary out into the community. 
And in some congregations, this sermon is kind of a a fallback, if you will, for Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday or Labor Day to kind of rally folks as if hearing living lives of faith with action is something that we pick up or put down depending on where we are in the liturgical or calendar year. But as I thought about this text today and I thought about you, a congregation, I thought how faith and action isn't a very hard sell here to a congregation where putting your faith into action is a foundational part of who you see yourselves to be in ministry. I don't feel like putting faith into action is even something I have to convince you of or that many of you would resist. So looking at the text and thinking of you, I found it rather challenging to offer something new to this equation of faith and action. Now, it's been said that those who dare to preach and teach on James must be theologically disciplined. The interpretation is, after all, more than any other epistle or perhaps or any other New Testament book, this text is especially vulnerable to moralizing. So just a reminder about where we are in the book of James and what's going on behind the scenes. The seven letters of James reflect a challenge that Christians faced in a time ruled by Roman Empire. Early Christians were just figuring out how to follow Jesus in a very hostile environment where they regularly encountered slavery, class warfare, and conflict. There was a real struggle at hand between following Jesus in outward ways, making faith visible, when their faith put them at odds with those in authority. Now, it should historically be noted here that there have been great theological rifts about the book of James as to whether a person is justified or saved by works or actions, which seems perhaps in contradiction to much of the New Testament where the emphasis is on faith or grace. I'm going to suggest that we save that discussion for another time. After all, Martin Luther and the other leaders of the Protestant Reformation never figured that out. So I don't see it really as either or. And in fact, it's that moral superiority sometimes that that gets us into trouble and leads us nowhere. I spent a good deal of time this week sitting with this text looking for a different commentary other than the ones that just kind of gush over the book and fall into an oversimplified trap of thinking that it's about to-do list, the do's and don'ts. And while there are powerful words woven throughout chapter two about our siblings, the poor, and Rahab, which we'll get to, I'd like to start today with a little bit of self-disclosure. Not to center any of this on me, but rather to avoid moralizing anyone else and by owning up to the struggle of living a life of faith in action. Now, I'd like to think if you polled the communities that I've been a part of in my life, not just my family and friends, that they would say to you, Amy is someone who puts her faith into action. You can count on her to step up step out and stand with the marginalized. 
But my friends, that's only part of my story. One of my first appointments after seminary in 1999 was to serve as the national organizer for the Methodist Federation for Social Action. Essentially, organizing others to put faith in action was my very job. The Methodist Federation for Social Action, or MFSA as it's known, was founded to direct the church's attention to the suffering among the working class. The organization back in 1907 and later on became the unofficial rallying point for Methodism's social gospel, challenging McCarthyism, and is the precursor today to our denominational board of the General Board of Church and Society. When I worked at the Methodist Federation, faith in action was so important, in fact, it was my only job description, that the fa- the, every year the staff had a budget line that was set aside for legal fees in case of arrest. For the nearly eight years I served there, I was based in an office in Washington, D.C., one block away from the U.S. Capitol, directly across from the Supreme Court. Walking to the Metro, I crossed paths with a lot of members of Congress. And every time I would pause and think, okay, how do I be in action today? What is it I want to say, you know, as I'm trying to like block their way on the sidewalk? If I have one moment, what is it I really want them to hear? And at nearly every march or rally that came to D.C. during that time, advocating for peace, equity, or people's rights, I was there, sometimes with other faith leaders and sometimes with secular groups who were working for the common good. This was my appointment to faith in action on behalf of the United Methodist Church. My version of living a life of faith in action or perhaps reaction, as Rev. Jerry spoke about last week. Friends, I was so deeply frustrated and angered by the injustices of the world. Faith in action was my job in the seat of U.S. power, and yet it felt like an impossible balance of faith and action. I felt like an imposter, never getting it right. There was so much injustice at every turn, And I never felt enough, that I could do enough or be enough. Now, throughout my life, I've had the privilege of walking with and learning from people for whom living a life of faith and action has been costly. And I've walked alongside of people that have become so attached to their identity as activists that their faith was kind of lost in the mix, almost as an afterthought to their actions. I have friends who actually save their clerical collars for protest and feel more comfortable in the streets than they do on the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. So this faith and action continuum is one that I've traveled throughout life and ministry, moving in and out of spaces, and it's impossible to get right. I've been in spaces where it's easier to speak up as a person of faith and places where I was embarrassed as a person of faith when Christianity was used as a weapon. Rather than seeing faith and action in opposition, James invites us to consider a faith not at odds with action, but a life of faith and action, a life of service, working on behalf of the most vulnerable among us. 
When I was eight years old and my brother was four, you could find us most Saturday mornings in front of the TV on our gold shag carpet watching cartoons. Now, one of my favorites in the Saturday morning lineup was Schoolhouse Rock, which was probably more of an attempt to educate kids who were a captive audience in that moment. But if you don't know it, Schoolhouse Rock was a show that talked about a lot of different educational things. It had this kind of cool 70s beat and was sandwiched between Super Friends and Scooby-Doo. That's why I remember it. So when thinking about the sermon today, I kept thinking about Schoolhouse Rock. And there was this particular version called Verb. That's what's happening. Where a boy and his superhero idol, Mr. Verb, demonstrate the grammatically correct use of a verb. Now, I won't take time to show you the episode. You can totally find it on YouTube. And I promise, Mark, I wouldn't sing it for you today. But I'd like you to hear the words from verb. That's what's happening. To sing, to be, to feel, to live, I put my heart in action. To run, to go, to get, to give, that's where I find satisfaction. To search, to find, to have, to hold, to be bold. When I use my imagination, I think, I plot, I plan, I dream, turning in towards creation. I make, I write, I dance, I sing. When I'm feeling really active, I run, I ride, I swim, I fly. I get my thing in action. In being and doing and saying, a verb expresses action. Yeah, being or a state of being, a verb makes a statement. Yeah, verb tells it like it is. Little shout out to Schoolhouse Rock this morning. Friends, verbs express action and a state of being just like our actions are evidence of our faith, an essential piece of being and doing. I wish you could see the boy in the video, how he's dreaming and playing and engaging and moving and serving. He's just happy to be alive. He's not concerned about getting it right. He's just expressing himself and telling it like it is. One of the people I had the privilege to walk alongside of in Washington, D.C. was Jim Wallace, a founding member of the Sojourner community. He wrote these words in Faith Works, one of his books. When putting faith into action, faith has the capacity to bring people together, to motivate and to aspire, even across former dividing lines. When we demonstrate our faith by putting it into practice, and conversely, if we don't keep the power of faith in our actions we undertake, our efforts can easily lead to burnout, bitterness, and despair. The call to action can preserve the authenticity of faith, while the power of faith can save the integrity of our actions. Friends, Faith that isn't put into practice lacks expression. If we lack expression in our doing, in our being, in our saying, then it's not really faith at all. Perhaps it's as dead as James describes in his letter to the early Christians. Now, often when I'm preaching, I look at several different translations of the text, and I found this one from the message quite compelling today going to read a little bit of it for you. Dear friends, 
do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words and never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, if you came upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved, would you say, good morning, friend, be clothed in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then just walk off without so much as providing a coat or a cup of soup? Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Consider Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity between doing and being? That's what's counted with God. The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing, a corpse. Friends, James' insistence that faith must be translated into practice makes good sense. And yet, how often we stop at thoughts and prayers. We hear so much about the love of God. And while there is mounting evidence of hunger, abuse, and violence among our neighbors, we tend to kind of ignore it sometimes. There's a lot of times, actually, that religious folks argue over words and being right, who's in, who's out, who's more faithful than considering how to be in action and what's most needed. So much money has been spent by the church fighting about welcome and creating rules over how to be church instead of being church for all people in action. And we shouldn't be surprised by the diminishing relevance of the church and society when it is actually most often people of faith who fail to recognize that God is a verb. I am a verb, I am that I am, says God to the middle-aged Mac in the 2007 best-selling novel, The Shack, by William Young. Perplexed by this statement, Mac, who is having a crisis of faith while spending a weekend in his family's vacation home in the mountains, asks God to explain. God, who has taken the form of an older African-American woman, continues, I am a verb. I am alive, dynamic, ever active, and moving. I am a being verb, and my very essence is a verb. I am more attuned to verbs than nouns. Verbs such as confessing, repenting, acting, living, loving, responding, growing, reaping, changing, sowing, running, dancing, singing, and on and on and on. Humans, on the other hand, have a knack for taking a verb that is alive and full of grace and turning it into a dead noun or a principle that reeks of rules. Unless I am, there are no verbs. And verbs are what make the universe alive. I give you the ability to respond. And your response is to be free to love and serve and act in every situation. And therefore, each moment is different. Each one of you is unique and wonderful and has the capacity to serve. Friends, God is a verb. Our action is a response to that. It's when we offer grace and responsibility. It's the crux of faith. 
the axis of the cross, the praxis of faith and action. Now, James chapter 2 gives examples and elevates how our ancestor Abraham was justified when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. I'll be honest again here. I kind of feel like this is a setup from James because it's tempting to get so caught up in our doing and acting out of our faith that it seems like sacrifice is the only option. Thomas Burton, Trappist monk, theologian, and social activist wrote, the frenzy of the activist destroys the fruitfulness of the work because it kills the root of inner wisdom, which makes the work and witness fruitful. Merton wrote these words more than 60 years ago, but they are no less true today. Without accountability, especially from the communities we seek to serve and be in solidarity with, and without attending to our interior lives that support faith in action, we run the risk of taking James's words to the extreme and becoming martyrs. This is where a quote from one of my favorite movies, Sorted Lives, seems relevant. Friends, let's get down off the cross. Someone else needs the wood. Throughout, throughout the book of James, James is clarifying that action is an extension and evidence of faith, not a replacement for it. If I took a poll here today, I'm guessing that most of us would agree that faith without works is dead. I wonder, though, if we could be honest with one another about how work without faith is exhausting. Living a life of faith in action isn't just about doing. It's also about being, nurturing, nurturing what actions we can where are the places, friends, in our community here at St. Andrew to supplement an outward and active faith? Whether it's through the Sisters Bible Study or the Women's Theological or Spiritual Growth Groups or Romeo, which I told them I would explain to you what that is. Romeo is retired old men eating out. Um, Maybe you want to go to Romeo. Maybe you want to check out one of our groups. Maybe you will attend one of our Sunday morning class discussions. Maybe you will serve with our youth and mission or bring in food or make sandwiches for after hours. I invite you to think with me how we can support one another in living here our faith in action, grounding ourselves exploring the why behind our actions, articulating the theology that shapes our witness and not just focusing on the acts of mercy. St. Andrew, I continue to be inspired by you and grateful to be a part of this community. My sense is that you act not because that's what's expected of you, because it's like a task or something you gotta perform, but rather you put your faith into action because you realize that God has given you the freedom and responsibility to love and to serve. Together, it is with our collective and shared efforts that we can foster a unity between faith and action, between our doing and being, and that, my friends, will keep St. Andrew from turning into a corpse, the kind that James warned us about. In just a few weeks, 
we will gather for September 11th here for our Come and See community event, discussing opportunities and celebrating ministries at St. Andrew where you can put your faith in action. I hope you'll come and discern how you can serve, how you can bring your passion and wisdom with a particular ministry, expanding our witness and widening God's love. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, Rev. Amy, I'm not sure what I can contribute. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, I'm overwhelmed with just the day-to-day. I hear you. And one thing that this chapter in James makes clear is that anyone can be in action, and there are lots of different ways to contribute. I love the reference to Rahab here. Here's a woman that so many have dismissed as having any value or anything to contribute. Rahab is actually known in the New Testament as a prostitute, as an independent woman, a betrayer, but also a hero. Alongside of all that, she is a person who proclaimed her faith, doing what she believed was right, despite complicated and terrifying circumstances. Friends, each one of us has the capacity to be so brave. Here's the thing. You and I don't have to be Rahab or Abraham. We can just be in action as we are, and that counts too. For you, that might mean making cookies for funerals or welcoming a newcomer on Sunday morning, sending a note of care or being one of our congregational care ministers. That might mean calling your congressperson thanking a veteran or a public servant. That might mean ushering or taking sandwiches down to after hours or being in prayer for our educators. These are just a few ideas. In reality, it is probably the most unlikely ones among us, like Rahab, the ones who feel like they are the least prepared that will have the most impact. So let's be in action. I want to end today by saying that we are in good company as people of faith, as a people of faith and action, and we have work to do. Historically, taking an active stance in society is nothing new for United Methodist. John Wesley himself sought to combine social holiness and personal devotion with piety. The people called United Methodists have been known in our denomination involved in people's lives and political and social struggles having impact all around the world. It is even in our baptismal vows as United Methodists that we commit to resist evil, injustice, and oppression wherever we find them. Friends, our baptism is faith in action. Now, there's a lot changing within our denomination. And some of that has to do with the church being in action, the church's wisdom of the witness, of, rather, of the church in the world. And I can't sit here and be honest with you and say that every United Methodist Church shares our values around action. But as we move into this unknown future in the church and the world, I pray that our faith Our faith drives our actions, that we stay out front, that this church believes God's love is an active and engaged love, a love seeking justice and dignity where all are welcome, and we mean it. 
actually backing it up with our actions. Following the words of James, being observers is not just enough. Let it be known that we care enough about people's lives to risk interpreting God's love, to take a stand and act no matter how complex or how controversial. May we be a church that invites questions and welcomes thinking alongside of action rather than just prescriptions. May we be known as good neighbors, a place to connect where each one of us is a witness to a faith that makes a difference in our schools, in our community, our neighborhood, and in our world. And when it comes to faith in action, may our measure simply be how and who we love. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.